Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the Defense Minister announces an independent review into harassment and sexual misconduct in the military. The reason this is, uh, we need to do this is we, we need to make sure that we rebuild the confidence for our survivors who have come forward. Uh, clearly, um, uh, we need to rebuild the confidence uh, with them to making sure that we have a proper structure in place. And what this external review is, it's much broader than the work that was done in the past. The latest on the government's bill to regulate the internet. Some privacy and internet law experts have commented that this basically is the government's Uh, trying to regulate free speech in Canada. And Erin O'Toole issues a challenge to the government on vaccinations. Canada's Conservatives are calling on the government to ensure that every Canadian adult has access to a vaccine by the May long weekend and that national standards are applied for screening and testing along with a national supply of the tests. It's Friday, April 30th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by CBC at issue panelist Althea Raj. Althea, thank you for joining us today. Good morning, Mark. Defense Minister Harjit Sajjan is now launching an independent external review into sexual misconduct in the Canadian Armed Forces, and he's asked the former Supreme Court Justice Louise Arbour to take this on. There's been a lot of pressure, obviously, on the government to act on what's been happening uh, at the same time as the opposition has been putting pressure on the government to say more about who in the prime minister's office knew what and when about the allegations against the former chief of the defense staff, General Jonathan Vance. So what do you think this this review will mean? It will mean that the liberals hope that we don't talk about it for several months. Right. Um Frankly, Mark, um, I do think genuinely that everybody uh, who is remotely involved in this file uh, does want to see change happen. Unfortunately, you know, the Liberals have been sitting on a report from Madame Mahideshant uh, on this topic that um, was commissioned under the Stephen Harper government, uh, released publicly in March of 2015. So they were briefed about it when they came into office. Uh, in when the minister was sworn in in November of 2015, the same minister, <laughs> I just uh, recall for viewers, um, and they have done nothing with it. And part of that report, its third recommendation, said very clearly that Madame Deschamps believed that all, everything the government is talking about now, the culture change needed to happen, all this stuff, but our third recommendation was an external body needed to be created, an outside body, an independent body that was outside of the chain of command, needed to be created to receive these uh, complaints from survivors about what had happened to them. Right. And instead of building on that report in the six-plus years Liberals have been in office, uh, now they seem to have suddenly awakened when the issue now involves Katie Telfer, the Prime Minister's Chief of Staff, uh, and there is uh, a request for the Speaker to find the Prime Minister in contempt of Parliament for misleading the public, uh, a saying that he wasn't aware that this, the complaint about General Vance was a, a Me Too-related complaint. Uh, now, suddenly, the Liberals realize that, oh, this change needs to happen, and they appoint yet another former Supreme Court justice, to basically review uh, the same matter that Madame Deschamps reviewed. I will say that the scope of the, invest- the, the uh, 
the investigation, the scope of the mandate, there's a better word, that Madame Margot has given is larger. Um, and there are other issues that she will be able to look at that um, Madame Duchamp was not able to look at. But I think the Liberals absolutely deserve uh, to have questions asked about why they did not act on Madame Duchamp's report. I think it's also important to note that while um, the defense minister apologized to survivors for saying they had, you know, if they felt that the government had not acted um, on the information that they had, that hadn't, that they had not been there for for victims and survivors, um, the government is trying to make this a systemic problem and to not make this a problem about. Uh, the Liberals not acting on information that they had with regards to this uh, this one case involving right. General Vance. Um, and so it, it, it can be both. It can be a systemic problem. It can also be a problem about the Liberals dropping the ball on this issue. Now, just quickly, of course, uh, as I mentioned, the pressure is still on from the opposition, particularly around the Prime Minister's Chief of Staff, Katie Telford. And we're going to hear more about that today, right? Exactly, yeah. The Conservatives at the Defence Committee, they plan to prevent a motion uh, have to ask Ms. Telford to appear for no less than two hours. really want to hear from her because Elder Marquez, who testified last Friday, said that basically, uh, you know, he was acting on Ms. Telford's directions when he started looking into this and that everybody understood the seriousness of the allegations. So um, they want to know exactly what Ms. Telford knew uh, about the complaint and what she told uh, her staff to do. All right, let's turn to Bill C-10, which is becoming uh, the focus of more and more attention all the time as a result of changes that have been introduced that would uh, effectively regulate content that is being shared on platforms like YouTube. And a lot of experts are saying this amounts to restrictions on free speech. So where does that stand now? Yeah, so this bill uh, was introduced in the fall, and the goal was basically to modernize the Broadcasting Act. So this is the legislation, the law, that um, basically regulates the big players like Shaw and Bell and and forces cable companies to pay into the Canadian media funds. So that goes to produce Canadian content. And then the CRTC regulates the amount of Canadian programming that is on the airways. And because more and more Canadians are using uh, content on the internet and through apps, uh, programs like Netflix and Amazon Prime, and they're listening to podcasts, um, the government felt and not just the government, but creators have felt for years that the Broadcasting Act needed to be modernized. So the government has been introducing uh, and pushing this legislation, and it's now, in fact, it's going to be studied this morning again, that clause by clause for this bill continues. And what basically happened was a promise that the government made last fall that user-generated content would not be regulated. Well, the Liberal MPs on the committee last week decided actually that they were going that they felt a loophole was being created that um producers would be able to uh, upload content to things like youtube and then they would avoid uh, regulation so they actually voted to have user-generated content included in the bill and that has raised the ire of the conservative party and as you mentioned, um, some privacy and internet law experts have commented that this basically is the government uh, trying to regulate free speech in Canada 
the government and this uh, Minister Gibault's office, the Heritage Minister, that um, this is not going to apply to people like, uh, you know, some teenager putting a music video that he created in his basement on right. YouTube. That this is only going to be for professionals, but big questions remain. Um, and so obviously this issue is not going away uh, the Conservatives have been uh, started to fundraise on the issue, actually. The block says the Conservatives are um, making uh, an issue out of nothing. Uh, the NDP says that they might actually support the government's legislation. So, um, yeah, there are some real questions. Clearly, the bill needs to be finessed a little bit more, uh, and the government needs to do a better job about what's going to be covered and what's not, and maybe narrow its scope. All right, finally, let's talk about vaccines. Uh, and Aaron O'Toole, the conservative leader, is saying every Canadian should be vaccinated by the May long weekend, which is rapidly approaching. It's going to be May tomorrow, in fact. Um, and uh, and then there's the whole question of how soon a second dose should arrive. Uh, recently, of course, the, the plan has been for the second dose to come something like four months after the first dose, even though the vac- vaccine manufacturers have said it's ideal to do it sooner than that. So what's the latest on all of that? Yeah, on Thursday, the Conservatives tabled an opposition day motion uh, on this topic. Um, interestingly, you know, just a, a f- moments basically after uh, Mr. O'Toole was done calling on the government, the federal government here, to ensure that Canadians receive their first dose before uh, the May long weekend, Ontario and Quebec announced that uh, they plan to drop the age of eligibility to 18 um, basically by May 2-4 so that all Canadians uh, in their provinces will be able to be vaccinated. Um, Of course, vaccine delivery uh, is into people's arms is not the federal government's job. Vaccine delivery uh, to the provinces is the federal government's job. And the government insists that it is moving as rapidly as it can, uh, that while vaccine supplies were shaky in January and February, as manufacturers were fine-tuning their operations, um, now Canada is actually doing quite well, that it's third in the G20. We heard Minister Anita Anand, the public service and procurement minister, uh, mention that uh, in the House, and that we're doing pretty well compared to other wealthy nations. But of course, as you and I know, uh, Mark, if we're not doing better than the U.S., Canadians tend to think we're doing pretty poorly. Um, and that's certainly something that the Conservatives feel is a big vulnerability uh, for the Justin Trudeau government. 30% of the U.S. population now is fully vaccinated. Less than 3% of people in Canada are who've uh, received their first and, and second dose. And in large part, that is because uh, there is a long 16-week interval now in most places between the first and second dose in this country, and that is another thing, as you mentioned, that Minister, excuse me, that Mr. O'Toole uh, criticized the government for. Actually, the motion says that the House condemns the government for extending the time between shots. The government insists that was not a Liberal government decision that was a National Advisory Committee on Immunization Decisions, an outside independent body right. con- that's composed of volunteer experts who suggested that the length of time between shots should be spaced out so that more Canadians would at least get protection from one dose of the vaccines right. while supplies were limited. All right, Althea, thank you very much for sharing all your thoughts on this today. Have a great weekend. Thank you very much. You too, Mark.
That's CBC at issue panelist Althea Raj. The reason this is, uh, we need to do this is we, we need to make sure that we rebuild the confidence for our survivors who have come forward. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In an editorial, the Toronto Sun argues another study won't fix military culture. The Sun writes, Conducting an independent review is what governments always do when they're descending into scandal on a major issue because of their own failures to act. Call an inquiry so that every time they get pummeled on the issue, they can say, we've called an inquiry. The problem here isn't that no one knows what's going on. It's the repeated failures of military brass and the federal government to address it. In the National Post, John Iveson argues some criticism of the budget will be hard for the Liberals to brush off. Iveson writes, The government can brush off much criticism as ideological and partisan. It will find it harder to discount the reaction from the parliamentary budget officer to former Bank of Canada governors and a former senior liberal advisor. All would clearly like to see more public capital investment and more incentives for private investment. Instead, we have a government that is failing to create the conditions needed to make Canada the best place in the world to do business. In an editorial, the Toronto Star argues long-term care reform must be about more than saving the elderly from the next virus. The Star writes, Every time there's a crisis in long-term care, systemic failures are exposed and the calls to do better ramp up. So much of these reports focus on the need for government to ensure residents don't die in tragic ways that it's easy to lose sight of the purpose of long-term care homes. They should be places where elderly people can get the help they need to really live their final years, not places to be warehoused while waiting for what's considered an acceptable death. Now here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. Some opposition members on the House of Commons Defence Committee will try to extend the committee's hearings into allegations of sexual misconduct in the Canadian forces. As CPAC's Martin Stringer tells us, they want to hear from the Prime Minister's Chief of Staff. Mark, the four Conservative members of the Defence Committee have put a motion before the committee to hear from Katie Telford, Justin Trudeau's Chief of Staff. They will argue this afternoon that it is essential to hear from Ms. Telford because in testimony last week, another close advisor to the Prime Minister, Elder Marquez, said that Ms. Telford was aware, at least in a general way, of allegations of misconduct against former Chief of Defence Staff General Jonathan Vance. Opposition critics say hearing from her is essential to getting to the bottom of who knew what and to determine why the allegations were not acted on. Earlier this week, the Prime Minister said he was not made aware of the exact nature of the allegations against General Vance, and he said he didn't know that they were, quote, a Me Too type of allegation. But at today's hearing, those Conservative members will have to persuade a majority of members on the committee not only to invite Ms. Telford to testify, but also to extend the committee's sittings. A little while ago, the Bloc Québécois voted with the Liberal members on the committee to form a majority and to vote to have the hearings wrap up and start preparing a report to Parliament. So, Mark, we will watch with interest the proceedings of the Defence Committee this afternoon. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will hold a news conference to speak about the COVID-19 situation. He'll be joined by Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland and Public Services Minister Anita Anand. Later, the Prime Minister and the Special Representative for the Prairies, Jim Carr, will virtually visit Il Alacrosse Fish Company in Saskatchewan. He will also speak with the Premier of Yukon. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh will speak with the media after doing a virtual tour in Ontario's Peel region. 
The Senate Committee on National Finance will hear from Deputy Prime Minister and Finance Minister Christia Freeland on Bill C-14. Innovation Minister François-Philippe Champagne will take part in a virtual panel discussion about the budget. Indigenous Services Minister Mark Miller will speak with the media after roundtable discussions on economic development. Middle-class Prosperity Minister Mona Fortier will take part in a virtual event hosted by the Mississauga Board of Trade. And Small Business Minister Mary Ng will take part in a virtual event with the Vaughan Chamber of Commerce. She will also participate in a virtual roundtable with small businesses in the Windsor-Essex region. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Friday, April 30th. Tune into Primetime Politics Weekend on CPAC for coverage of all the week's events. Our podcast returns Monday morning. Have a great weekend.